So I've been, we've been talking about the children of Israel because they faced the same thing. They had a promised land that God had told them about. Now, uh, in De Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, starting in verse 10, uh, we see how God described this land that they were going to. So when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you with great and goodly cities which you did not build and houses full of all good things which you did not fill and cisterns hewn out which you did not hew and vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant and when you eat and are full... Then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Let's look at verse 23. You, and he brought us, I, I want to really emphasize this. This is God's heart. He brought us out from there. Why? So that he could bring us in to give us the land which he swore to give to our fathers. <coughs> So this was the preliminary thing that God had told the children of Israel. And he delivered them out of Egypt with a, a mighty, mighty supernatural hand. And they, they walked. We don't know how long it took to get from Egypt to the, the border of the promised land. We, uh, according to one... Uh, account it says that it was actually just 11 days journey but we know that it took longer than 11 days because we know that they stopped uh, whenever the clouds stopped or the fire by night stopped they stopped and they didn't move until it lifted and then they moved so it was kind of a slow process and then they got to Mount, uh, Mount Sinai and during that time uh, God appeared to them in in the fire and the smoke on the mountain and Moses went up we know he went up for 40 days the first time then he came back down and they had defiled themselves he threw down the ten commandments broke them so he had to go back and redo it and so that took 40 more days and so he was so we know that that was a length of time that they were down so we don't know how long it took for them to get to the promised land. But I can imagine, because of the way I feel as I'm watching this new church be built and, and know that for 45 years this was something that was in Pastor and I's heart for 45 years. And uh, to watch it begin to develop and the excitement that begins to build and build and build when we get nearer and nearer and nearer to the promised land. And so I can imagine that that was what was going on in the, in the hearts of the children of Israel. They were probably excited. Now they had been tested along the way in many different areas. They'd been tested with... Uh, they didn't have water. God provided supernaturally. They, they didn't have food. God uh, provided supernaturally. Uh, there was just all kinds of challenges that, that they met. And at every point, it seemed like all they could do was just murmur and complain. And God called that unbelief. So here was a group of people that were approaching the end of the journey, but their hearts had never been changed from unbelief, even though they kept seeing miracles and miracles and miracles. So whenever they finally got to the edge of the promised land, I'm sure they were looking over into it saying, finally, our problems are over, uh, and just, you know, ready to move in. And um, they didn't realize there was one more test. And this was a big one. And this was going to determine whether they went into the promised land or whether they didn't. So, um, in Numbers, the 13th chapter, um, I'm just going to turn there. Um, if you would like to turn in your Bibles to number thir Numbers 13, we will be uh, camping there for just a little while. In this account, 
It says, the Lord said to Moses, send men to explore and scout out the land. So according to this account, God said for them to go into the land. But if you'll read it in Deuteronomy, the first chapter, it says the people came to Moses and said, let's send in spies to spy out the land. So we don't know. It could be this way. You remember when, when Israel wanted a king? Israel wanted a king. That was not God's first choice or God's plan. But they, they, uh, they whined about it. They put pressure on God. And finally he said, all right, you can have a king. So I don't know if this is what happened. That they, they decided, we want to spy it. We want to see what's over there before we go in. And God said, all right, send out some spies. And so he told them to send out 12 spies. He named them or he told them who to choose. And the spies went in for 40 days. So the people, here they are. They're so excited about the new land. Finally, our problems are going to be over. We're probably not going to have to trust God anymore. This is going to be neat. And um, so they're waiting for these 40 days. And they're saying, hurry up, hurry up. We want to find out what's on this land. We've got to find out what's in this land. And so finally, here comes the spies back. And they all are excited. They gather around. And so then the spies begin to tell them about the land. So I can just see they're just, I mean, they are as excited as if the Dallas Cowboys had won the Super Bowl. And so they were standing there and... Um, Verse, uh, let's see. I want to start with, let's start with verse 25. This is uh, Numbers 13, verse 25. And they returned from scouting out the land after 40 days. They came to Moses and Aaron and to all the Israelite congregation in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh and brought them word and showed them the land's fruit. Now, just a few verses up beyond this, it tells about this wonderful fruit that they found. I mean, it was clusters of grapes that were so big and heavy that they had to carry it on a pole between two people. It wasn't just our little table grape, grapes. It was a mega bunch of grapes. And uh, so they showed them the grapes. And they told Moses, we came from the land to which you sent us. Surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. Aha. So they're confirming what God has said this land is going to be like. Yes. And so they're getting more excited. They're confirming this is a land. Now, the, you know, it's not literal milk, and it's not probably not literal honey, but it's talking about a land of abundance. And we read earlier that this is a land that they didn't have to build anything. They can just take over and they're going to have a, you know, it sounds like a great life. And then verse 28. What is the first word of verse 28? But. This is the classic good news bad news report so here's the here's the spies and um they're saying uh yes it's a great land and the people are saying ha sing a hallelujah and then they say but the people who dwell there are strong and the cities are fortified and very large moreover there we saw the sons of anak of great statue and courage. In other words, they said, but people are strong and we found something God forgot to mention. He did not mention and tell us that there was going to be giants in the land. How could God overlook a giant? Well, what we know is giants are no problem to God. But they had developed such a spirit of unbelief that every little obstacle in their way, they begin to moan and groan and say, 
Well, this is what they said. Look at verse... Um, Look at verse uh, 31. And his fellow scouts, this is Caleb's fellow scouts, we are not able. So they begin to bring a factual report that was not a good report. Now there's times that you may get a factual report, maybe a factual report from the doctor, from your bank institution, from whoever wherever it comes from, a factual report that's not a good report. Now, we do ask that. We, we look at the facts. We don't say that facts don't count. But the problem is, is how do we process the facts? Do we process the facts? And there's two ways that you can process them. You can process them with a spirit of unbelief, or you can process them with a spirit of faith. And so here, these, uh, these spies said, uh, you know, they had already said, there's giants there, people are strong, the cities are fortified, which are facts. But then they say they begin to process it through a spirit of unbelief. And we know from reading this account that it was unbelief that kept them out of the promised land, not the giants, not the fortified cities, not any strong person that lived in the land of Canaan. It was unbelief that kept them out of the promised land. And so here we see them process it through unbelief. So the fellow scout says, we are not able to go up against the people of Canaan, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the Israelites an evil report. Any report of unbelief, if you have processed anything through unbelief, it is evil in the ears of God. So they brought the Israelites an evil report of the land, which they had scouted out, saying, the land through which we went to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. How did they know that? Did they see this land devouring the inhabitants? No, they were processing it through unbelief. And all, how many people did they say here? All the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Is that a true statement? They saw some, but they didn't see all. And there we saw the Nephilim, or giants, the sons of Anak, who came from the giants, and we were in our sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. Now, let me just make a statement. Um, when you buy into a spirit of unbelief, Satan will always actuate the negative. He will begin to expand it. You get a report from the doctor, and Satan will say, you have about five months to live. I mean, he will accentuate, accentuate the negative every time. So let's look for just a minute of the negative that he accentuated. Uh, all the people are great, of great stature, number one. The land devours its inhabitants, number two. We are grasshoppers because they say we're grasshoppers. Because that's the way we looked in comparison to them. Remember that. That's the way we looked in comparison to the giant. But then we have a spirit of faith. If you back up to verse 30, Caleb quieted the people. Now, this was right when the, when the spies started speaking negative. Can you imagine what happened to these 
this whole congregation of millions of people that were anticipating going into the promised land and not having to have any more problems, and all of a sudden there's giants there and we can't do it. There would be kind of an uproar, I think. And so Caleb had to quiet the people before Moses and said, here's the way a spirit of faith thinks. And you're going to see the Bible calls Caleb and Joshua, but we emphasize Caleb here, calls them um, people with a different spirit or people that wholly followed the Lord. So he says, let us go up at once and possess it. We are well able to conquer it. The spirit of faith processes the negative different than the spirit of unbelief. And the neat thing about it is, same facts, same facts. It's just how they processed it. And if you have a heart and a mind in you to obey the Lord, and if you know your God and you trust God like I talked about last week, we learn to trust God, it develops in us a spirit of faith. Now, a spirit of faith says, well, it may look bad, but they, a spirit of faith will take the facts like the giants and will compare the facts with God, not the giants. So how does God look at these facts? That's the question. And Caleb said, well, we are well able. Then jump down to verse 8 of chapter 14. Let's, let's do 7, verse 7. Uh, chapter 14, verse 7. <clears throat> and they said to all the company of Israelites, this is Joshua and Caleb, the land through which we passed as scouts is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. <coughs> now see, the spirit of faith sees something different than the spirit of unbelief. So he's... These two men that have a spirit of faith are going to see something that none of these others saw. Verse 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Listen, their defense and the shadow of protection is removed from over them, for the Lord is with us. Fear them not. They saw something. They saw that even, I mean, they might be big. The cities might be fortified. But we see their shadow of protection is removed from over them. We, it, we are well able to take this land. And Why? Because God delights in us and he is with us. So the children of Israel, they bought into the lie. That all, I mean, isn't it kind of interesting that of the 12 spies, 10 of them were negative and only two of them had a spirit of faith? Is the majority always right? I think we're finding out the majority is not always right. There is another way of looking at things. But these people, these children of Israel, they had made a decision about the outcome. Now, I want to look at uh, Joshua because I want to show you what the truth is. In Joshua, the first, uh, second chapter, 
They had wandered for 40 years in the wilderness now. After this account of the, tw of the 12 spies, they had to go back and wander in the wilderness for 40 years. You talk about Memorial Day. Every person that was over the age of 20 had to die. How many graves, how many people did they bury in the, promise, in the wilderness? Thousands and maybe millions had to die because they had processed the report wrongly. So they died. So when, they, when the 40 years was up and, and the, they began to move towards the promised land again and they, they, destroy, uh, they uh, had uh, two battles with Sihon and uh, Og, um, they defeated them on the other side of Jordan. And now they're getting ready to go over into Jordan, across Jordan into the promised land itself. Now again, they're facing it. So they send out two spies this time. I don't know if they learned their lesson and just decided, well, two came back all right, but so we're just going to send two. So they sent two spies and they went into the city of Jericho, which was the first city they were going to face. And um, they went into Rahab's house, and I won't go into all that. But I want to just show you what Rahab told them. This is the other side. This is the inhabitant's side. So uh, in Joshua 2, verse 9, she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us. Is that what the spies saw? And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt that you, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the east side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted, neither did spirit or courage remain anymore in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. You know what's interesting about this? They believed in the Israelites' God more than the Israelites believed in their God. So all of these things that they had decided, this is the way it is, were not true. The shadow of protection was removed from off of the inhabitants of the land, and there was no land devouring the inhabitants over there. They were trembling in fear because of the God, the God of the Israelites. So I've titled this message, How to Kill Your Giant. So uh, we need to take a lesson from a great, great giant killer. Because, you see, the children of Israel, they were tested in many different ways as they came through the, the path to the promised land. But the final test was the test of the giants. And whether they were able to believe in the face of giants or not determined whether they went into the promised land or not. So we need to look at a giant killer. And uh, we find out in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, a story that you are very familiar with, but I want to just take some lessons from David. David knew something that the children of Israel didn't know. 
And that was, giants are killable. They are not unkillable. They can be killed. And so David happened to show up when the Philistines were uh, kind of laying siege to Israel. And you know the story that every day, twice a day, Goliath, this big, uh, we have a description of him uh, in, uh, in chapter 17, 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 4, and he, it talks about how big he was, how tall he was, how heavy his uh, helmet was, how, how he was dressed from head to toe with impenetrable armor. I mean, he did look pretty formidable, I'm sure. And so, verse 8 of 1 Samuel 17, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for you and let him come down to me. So uh, he kind of made a deal with them. Why, Why fight? This whole army thing, you know, battle, battle between two armies. Why not just two people? Me and somebody from your side. And we'll determine the victory. Well, that kind of evened the odds, in a way, if they could just get somebody to come out and fight him. But the Bible tells us that the whole of the, of the army or the ranks of the Israelites trembled. And so then David shows up, uh, and then, uh, let me look at um, verse 23. As they talked, behold, Goliath, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, came forth from Israel's ranks and spoke the same words as before, and this time David heard him. Now, he heard the same thing that the whole army of Saul heard, but he processed it different. See, the whole army of the Israelites were in unbelief. They had a spirit of unbelief. But here comes someone on the scene that has a spirit of faith about him. So... um, Let let me just kind of jump over some here for the sake of time. Let's look at verse 26. This is what David said. He said to the men standing by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Already we can see the wheels turning on the inside of his head. Now here is a young man. I don't know how old he is. I don't even know. Some people think he might have even been a teenager. We do know some things about him, that he was ruddy of complexion, and I think he had red hair, uh, and he was good-looking. Those are some facts that we learn from, about David. And David said uh, to the men, I, I read that, uh, to take away the reproach from Israel, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The first thing that we notice is David never called him a giant. Never one time did David call this Philistine a giant. And on more than one occasion, he called him the uncircumcised Philistine. The first thing that you need to know, if you're going to kill a giant, you need to know that you have a covenant with the Most High God. And he called this this Philistine someone that was uncircumcised, which meant, because in those days that, that was a sign of covenant with God. God had set it up, the circumcision. He was uncircumcised. He was a Philistine that had no covenant with God. In other words, David said, you don't have a leg to stand on. How dare you? You don't have a right to defile 
Now listen to this. To defy the armies of the living God. Now I want to just show you the difference. See, perspection is everything. We see perspection with the, the children of Israel when they looked at the giants and they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And then we saw the inhabitants of the land. They didn't see the children of Israel as grasshoppers. They saw them as servants of the Most High God. So now, in this situation, Goliath stands up and he says, You are servants of Saul. I defy you. And David gets up and he says, Uh-uh. We aren't servants of Saul. We're the army of the Most High God. Perception. David saw the problem in light of the covenant. And he, I believe that the times that he was in the desert or wherever, pastures or wherever he was, taking care of his sheep, we have, we have a record that in that pasture, he met with God on a regular basis. He and God were kind of like this. And then there came a time when God was getting ready to select the next king. And Samuel came and anointed David. So this anointed man went out into the pasture, taking care of the sheep. But that anointing started to work right then. And he killed the lion, he killed the bear, and he got to know God, and he got to trust God, and he began to know who he was. So number one, you need to know who you are. You need to know that you have a covenant with God. And number two, you need to know that God is a covenant-keeping God. And you need to know that God will fight for you. Number two. And number three... These are three points on killing your, your giants if you want to write point one, two, and three. The third thing is David spoke out of a spirit of faith. So let's listen to what he has to say. Verse 45. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the ranks of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, he's saying, make my day. This day, uh, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and this is what I'm going to do to you. Because he had already told, the Philistine had already told David what he was going to do to him. And let me just say this. We didn't read that, but the devil is going to tell you what he's going to do to you many times. He's going to bring that negative report to you. What are you going to do about the negative report? If you, are, if you process the negative report... With a spirit of faith, you're going to say something back to the devil. You're not going to keep your mouth shut and just think things. You're going to start talking to the enemy. And this is what David did. He said, I will smite you. I will cut off your head. I will give the corpses of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I mean, David got really carried away. He didn't just say, I'm going to get rid of you, but all the army of the Philistines are going to suffer defeat. Just watch. Verse 47, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, <coughs> for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. 
I like 48. When the Philistine came forward to meet David, what did David do? He ran quickly backwards toward the battle to meet the Philistine. A spirit of faith knows the outcome before the battle even takes place. And he just runs to get it done. He was ready to get that done. And we read on and we find out that David took a stone, slung it, put it in his sling, slung it, and it just happened to land in the only spot on that man's body that was not covered with an armor. Just happened to do that. Do you know the stone did not kill Goliath? The spirit of faith killed Goliath. Because he stood up there. I mean, if he had been the worst person in the world to, with a sling, it still would have killed Goliath because he had a spirit of faith. And that's how, you, that's how you kill your giant. Second, <coughs> see, uh, Second Corinthians 4, verse 13. Yet we have the same spirit of faith as he who wrote, I have believed Therefore have I spoken. We too believe and what happens? Therefore we speak. I talked about last week how what you believe down on the inside of you, what's in your heart, will vent through your mouth. What is in abundance in your heart is going to vent out your mouth. And we saw that with the children of Israel. We saw that with David. We saw this with Caleb, Joshua and Caleb. What was in their heart came out their mouth. So a spirit of faith, we have the same spirit of faith. Who is we? You and I. We have that same spirit of faith. We believe and therefore have we spoken. We too believe and therefore we speak. You're going to speak what you believe. Listen what you're saying. Listen. You're going to find out what you believe by what comes out of your mouth. Oh, you can fake it sometimes. And I've heard people try to fake it. But eventually, you're going to find what's really in their hearts. It's going to come out. Do you have a spirit of faith or a spirit of unbelief? So... <clears throat> In 1977, um, Pastor and I were living in Perryton, Texas. On a, uh, we had uh, gone, Charles, Pastor had gone to Rama. We had moved back to Perryton, and we had an opportunity to go through our wilderness there at Perryton in a church that they hired us, or they asked us to come and help with them. And um, this was the kind of church that um, they had their, they didn't pay salary to their pastors. They just had this handshake policy. And, you know, we shook hands with everybody in the congregation because there would, they would slip money into your hand. So I learned to shake hands a lot. And so, uh, so you know, we were doing fairly well. But I won't go into all the details, um, but there was some controversy that arose because of what we believed and what we were, how we were acting. We were lifting our hands and just stuff like that. And so finally, they, uh, this was our wilderness, and we were tested with offense. Were we going to get offended? We were dismissed, and um, we decided to forgive them and not hold anything against them. And so that we passed that test. We moved out into uh, 20 miles south of Perryton uh, on this, uh, 
it was a big ranch, but this, the man that owned it had two houses, and one of them was empty, so he let us move into that because we didn't know what we were going to do. We didn't have any direction. Charlie was just thinking, you know, he, he was supposed to study the Word of God for six hours a day. God had mandated him to do that. And I, uh, I didn't have any means of income except that I started making these real fancy dolls, and I was going to bring one, and I forgot it. But I made these dolls, and um, I started selling them, and I could sell, you know, I could sell them for $30 or so. And one lady, every time I'd make her one, she'd give me a $100 bill. So it was just like we were living in a wilderness with no means of any support whatsoever, and God was blessing us. And we were, you know, we were doing fine. We didn't know what we were supposed to do at that time. We, we didn't have any direction. And then you know this story about what one, one day, Pastor Charlie was uh, getting ready, we were getting ready to come up to Guyman for a full gospel businessmen's meeting, and I was in the middle of the room, and I heard the Spirit of God say, now, I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but it was so strong it could have been audible. I don't know. And he said, you're going to be living in Guymon. Well, so uh, when I finally told Charlie what I felt like the Lord had said, we sent out our spies into our promised land. And so Charlie and I and our three kids, we got in our van on one Sunday afternoon and we drove to Guymon, Oklahoma from Perryton. And we, the minute we walked in, we went in to come into Guymon, it was like, yes, this is our promised land. We spied it out and we found out mm, this is a good land. But we had a little bit of a giant that we were facing. And that giant was the year before we had lived uh, below poverty level according to the records that we had. Because in our income tax, we had no means of support. We had no income. We didn't work for anybody. And yet we needed a place to live. That was a big giant. So uh, I won't go into all the details, but we drove up here just kind of looking around, and I saw this house on 123 Paul Avenue, and it was for rent the first time we came up here. The second time, uh, it was for sale, and I kept hearing this word in my ear, assume a loan, assume a loan. And I thought, I wonder what assume a loan means. And so we kind of we contacted the real estate agent, and she said, "Well, the people decided not to rent; they want to so the person to assume a loan." And so we said, "Ah, oh, that's what assume a loan is." So we went into a credit bureau or a lending institution. It wasn't a bank. I, I don't remember the name of it, but I do remember the man's name. His name was Richard Bennett, and. Um, so we sat down with him. We were facing our giant. And we said, he said, uh, he looked at our income tax from the year before, and, uh, and he looked at it a second time. And then he said, um, who do you work for? And this is not like Charlie, if you know him. He said, God. Uh, we didn't know how that went over with him, but uh, we, do, we did have some inside information because the lady, one of the ladies that started the Bible study with us after we moved to Guymon worked for him, and she said, you don't know how incredibly miraculous that was. So we, you know, we didn't know if they were going to prove a loan or not. We went back to Perryton. We loaded up the trailer. And we started packing to move to Guymon. 
We didn't have the okay from the loaning agency. But we had a word from the Lord. See, when you face a giant, you do need a word from the Lord. If you have a word from the Lord, you don't have to worry about the outcome. So we packed everything up. And then Charlie sent me on to Guyman with Kim and a load of stuff and our cat Coco and her kittens. And we, moved, we started to Guyman. I didn't know that we had not been approved for the loan. Charlie knew. Now, I, you know, some people would think that was wife abuse. But um, I started, and he had told me when I, le when, when I left, he said, now when you get to Guyman, here's the real estate lady's number. Call her. She will come and meet you at the house with the key so you can get in. Fine, no problem. Little did I know that if we were not approved for a loan, the real estate lady would not show up and we would not have a key and I would have no place to stay. And my cats would be very upset. So I just went on. What I didn't know was 45 minutes after I left Perryton, the, the real estate agent called, or I don't know if it was a real estate agent or, or Richard Bennett, and said we'd been approved for the loan. It was no big deal to me, but it was a giant. It's a giant. What did I have to know? I had to know who I was in Christ. I had to know God. I had a covenant with God, and I had to trust, know that I could trust him and that what he said he would actually do. And I had to know that God was faithful to his word. And if he said it, he's going to do it. I don't care how big the giant is. And then we had to say, you know, Charlie said, just go, go to Guyman. That's the spirit of faith talking. Go to Guyman, call the real estate lady. She will come and she will give you the key to the house. That's the spirit of faith speaking. See, we all, all along the way, we had a choice. And you have a choice as well. Every one of us have a, a choice of how we're going to process the different things that we face in life. Do you have a spirit of faith? Well, I can tell by the way you talk. What are you saying? My God will meet all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. By the stripes of Jesus, I have been healed. I have a God that's a covenant God and he makes me immune to disease, according to the scriptures in Exodus. We have words from the Lord that we can stand on. So, here we are as a congregation. We're looking over into our promised land, and we see that beautiful church that's just waiting for us. It's getting closer and closer to being finished. What is our giant? A million and a half dollars. Just a million and a half dollars. We've already raised three million. God has brought us through the three million dollar mark, and now we're, that's our giant. So, what are we saying as a congregation? What are we saying? God will pay for his church. Do you believe it? I want to read a scripture to you, uh, Psalms 44, 3. God gave me this scripture, and I haven't shared this with you, but he gave me this scripture way back years ago, even before we even had the land out uh, north of Walmart. For they got not the land of Canaan in possession by their own sword, Neither did their own arms save them. 
but your right hand and your arm and the light of your countenance did it because you were favorable toward and did delight in them. And we can say, we as Victory Center, we got the land. We got, we got our promised land. Not by our own might. It wasn't our own arm that did it. But God, it was your right hand. It was your arm and the light of your countenance that did it. Why? Because you are favorable towards us and you delight in us. I believe that. Do you believe that? I'm telling you, the giant's going down. The giant's going down. Because we have God's promises. So the question is, uh, unbelief will keep you out of the promised land, but the spirit of faith will take you in. And I'll tell you, it does not matter what the economy is out there. Our belief is in the riches of glory. Our needs are met according to the riches of glory. That's where our economy is. That's why we have already raised $3 million. And now we're at the edge of our promised land. And you know what? The giants mean nothing to God. Nothing to God. He is stronger than any giant. And all it takes is somebody that's obedient with a little tiny stone and a spirit of faith. And they crash to the ground. Stand with me. Now, I have given the ushers uh, a, sheet of, a sheet that I got. I stole this from uh, Faith School, Keith Moore's Faith School, because it's so good. But these are symptoms of unbelief, and every one of you can have one. Uh, when you leave, just get, get them from the ushers. Uh, I won't read them all to you. Just... You can look through them. We've talked about most of them because they are all characteristic of the children of Israel. I like this bottom part. It says, warning. If you are experiencing one or more of these symptoms, you are in unbelief. And that unbelief is robbing you of blessings. You should immediately administer large dosages of the word of God now. So I don't know what the Lord has talked to you about as I've been ministering this morning about the spirit of faith, but in God's heart, he wants every one of us to have a spirit of faith. If we don't have a spirit of faith, we can change that. We can, we can deal with unbelief. You know, Mark, uh, <coughs> Mark the ninth chapter the 23rd verse says, All things are possible to him that believes. The Amplified says this, And Jesus said, You say to me, if you can do anything, why, all things can be and are possible to him who believes. We know that there's a scripture that says all things are possible with God. But he's waiting for you to believe so his supernatural could come into your natural. So I'm going to tell you what a giant is. A giant is something that's bigger than you. Something that you cannot handle on your own. You need supernatural help. That's what a giant is. So maybe some of you have identified your giant. 
If you've identified your giant this morning and you are at the edge of your promised land, then all you need is a spirit of faith to go on in. So I want you to bow your heads this morning. Every one of you that you've identified a giant in your life and you need to have supernatural help to kill that giant or to defeat that giant, lift your hand. Let me see all of you. Okay. Okay. All over this place. So I'm not going to have you come up this morning because uh, this is something that you and God need to work through. So you that raised your hand, I'm going to speak to you right now. God knows what your giant looks like. And he can bring you through to where you need to go if you will release his supernatural power into your life. You need supernatural power. That's why we are God's children. And that's why we're the body of Christ. And that's why we have a God that's our God. He's bigger. Have you ever tried to just imagine the bigness of God? This week I was just thinking, uh, there's a scripture that says God is from everlasting to everlasting. And I just started thinking, from everlasting, how far back is everlasting? How did God come into being? How did all of these things, I mean, and to everlasting. I mean, this is just just will mess with your brain because we don't have brain cells enough to imagine what God is really like that he could just speak and a world can come into existence just speak we have we have an earth we have we have light we have trees we have animals we have speak his word is so powerful. And when that word comes to you, it has all the power of the universe in it. And when the word came to us, you're going to live in Gaiman. It had all the power in that word to bring it to pass. And we have been living in Gaiman, I have, for 45 years pastor lived here for 44 years that was our giant but we ran you know the neat thing about it is that we were able to the spirit of faith propels you toward that giant not away from it and you just know that you know that you know that you know that you know God's going to come through he's going to come through for you so, Father, every one of these that raise their hand, you know who you are here in this audience, you know. Every one of you that raised your hand, God saw that hand. Now, I want you to release your faith and release the burden of that situation and put it over on God. And begin to tell God, I trust you. I trust you. You're a great and a mighty God. And begin to see yourself killing that giant. See, David saw something before he did it. He said exactly what he was going to do. He said, I'm going to cut off your head. How did he do that? He didn't even have a sword. All he had was a rock. And yet he saw something. He saw the other side, and he saw that he was going to cut off that giant's head. Where did he get the sword? He got it from, the, from, from Goliath himself. Who would have thought 
but he did. So all of you that raised, raised your hand, I want you to see what God can do for you. I want you to see your giant dead, not able to raise up against you anymore. Whatever it is, your bills paid, your sickness or disease healed, your relationships restored, your son or daughter into the kingdom of God, serving the Lord, raising their hands, worshiping God. Whatever it is that's your giant that you think is impossible, start seeing what God can do, and He'll make it possible. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victor Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.